that laughs at Rob Schneider falling with his face in poopy and Adam Sandler being peed on. I really don't want to know somebody who finds that humorous. Radio Drome. Welcome to a critically panned, I'm sure, episode of Radio Drome. I am Josh Hadley. With me, as always, is Cecil T. Robot. Yes. And then we have with us Alex, yellow shirt, little Asian boy, Jowski. That's a girl. Seriously? That's, that's, that's a girl? I didn't. Okay, Cecil didn't think so either. <laughs> That is so not a girl. That is Ninja 18 from the amazing movie Ninja in the Killing Field. Seriously, you should see that. You guys need to go to adamandeve.com. Use the promo code DROME to get 10 free gifts on top of whatever you buy. You'll get six free DVDs, a free mystery gift, a gift for him, a gift for her, as well as free U.S. shipping. Tonight we're going to be talking about critics. Not critics in the way that you might think, but how so many classic movies or even just good, enjoyable movies are panned by the critics and vice versa. How many pieces of crap are just loved by the critics are unwatchable, like like that, that sleeping pill, the English patient. The critics just loved that thing. I, I, I'm like Clockwork Orange when I'm trying to watch that. That is the most pretentiously boring film I've ever seen. That should have been Fargo's ear. What is a movie that you absolutely love that the critics just destroyed when it was originally out? Well, I know that we were going to mention it, but I'll start right off the bat with um, friggin' Hudson Hawk. Yeah, that was. Fr- I, rem- I, I, me- I saw that in the theater. I remember when that came out. That was reviled by critics. I was going to go watch it with my parents. My parents were like, oh, no, this movie is apparently like the worst thing to ever happen. So I had to wait until they aired it on Showtime. And then you saw, you know what? This is legitimately funny where it's supposed to be. Oh, I'd already been playing the Nintendo game. That's how much I liked Hudson Hawk. I was willing to give the Nintendo game a shot. And even the Nintendo game is reviled for good reason. It's a shitty game. LJN, what do you expect? There's a laundry list, but uh, I think tonight I will go with The Adventures of Ford Fairlane. That Ano- is another of- great film. I love Ford Fairlane. <laughs> Oh, it is seriously. It's in my uh, like probably top hundred greatest films ever. I adore that movie. It is so fun. It's it's great. It's funny where it's supposed to be. It's got action. It's got a great story. It's got an outstanding cast. And because at the time Andrew Dice Clay was so he he was too non politically correct for critics that they threw a fit. You know, ah, ah, this is garbage from this massage. Yeah, shut up. It's a great movie. I think in the case of Ford Fairlane, the critics were more reviewing Andrew Dice Clay than they were the film. Exactly. They, they weren't getting their bias out of the way. They were just going after, you know, their dislike of Andrew Dice Clay and, you know, not looking at the fact that he was playing a character that was somewhat like Andrew Dice Clay, but not really, you know, they, but they just couldn't get beyond that. I've looked up a bunch of examples, films that today are considered absolute classics that were just destroyed 
upon their original release. For instance, Blade Runner. Everyone agrees that Blade Runner is a masterpiece, and I guess depending on the cut. Whereas when it first came out in 1982, it was called science fiction pornography. Extraordinary congested metropolis-like sets. Blade Runner has its own look. It has its own place in history. It's too bad they didn't bother writing the movie. Roger Ebert said that that he found the movie enthralling, but the human story was so cliched and thin that it actually hurt the film. All of the critics just looked at how amazing Blade Runner looked and then went, this movie sucks, though. Do you think that's the normal way a classic is? It just does not get its due when it's out? Okay, I don't quite agree with them, but then again, I kind of do because it took me like two or three sittings to really appreciate Blade Runner. The first couple times I watched it, I had trouble getting into it. It was very slow, but eventually I did get into it and enjoyed the hell out of it. And I think movies like Blade Runner are ones that it's going to take some time before people love it. Uh, I mean, I think now we're a lot of people are more critical and not really willing to uh, to give uh, stuff stuff a chance, or they're a little too eager to jump on the greatest thing ever bandwagon. There there is an oddity about how certain movies are just so far ahead of their time that uh, it does take them a bit to to find their audience. Something like Blade Runner and uh, like the Hudsucker Proxy and movies that come out that just bomb horrendously for. Any various number of reasons, but then they do catch on later and they find their audience. And then, uh, oh God, Big Lebowski, uh, I, when that came out, that bombed it. Oh, this is this is a career ruining movie. And now uh, people are buying freaking, you know, the, the dude uh, rugs and and it's quoted left and There's right. There's a fan festival. Uh, so. Then there are films like John Carpenter's The Thing. I remember when The Thing came out in 1982. It got almost no positive reviews, not even from the horror movie magazines. Just like with Blade Runner, everyone was talking about the special effects, but they hated the movie. Roger Ebert called it a barf bag movie. Some some other critics were, designer Rob, Rob Bottin's work is novel and unforgettable, but since it exists in a near... Near vacuum emotionally becomes too domineering dramatically and something of an exercise in abstract art. It's a hell of an antidote to E.T. If you wanted something good, go to E.T. If you want the exact opposite, go to John Carpenter's The Thing. Astonishingly, Carpenter blows it. There's a big difference between shock effects and suspense and in sacrificing everything at the altar of gore. Carpenter sabotages any hope of drama just to be different. The thing is so single-mindedly determined to keep you awake that it almost puts you to sleep. I could go on with another 15 negative quotes from major movie magazines like People and all that. Everyone hated John Carpenter's The Thing when it came out. Now it's a benchmark. Ugh. That just is mind-boggling because the effects in that movie are still, like you said, benchmark. That is legendary. They still look amazing uh, just everything in that movie the performances john carpenter's score the you know the the oh gore which really wasn't that gory especially if you're considering you know it came out in the time of like grindhouse films where where there was movies that were way bloodier it just so happens that uh the 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 violence and gore was done in a way that was very stylistic was I, I, it was done for shock value for, the word you're looking for is visceral visceral yeah well, now, you've, you've got other movies that are considered absolute classics. Here's an original review from 1927 for Metropolis. Quoting, 
It is a technical marvel with feet of clay, a picture as soulless as the manufactured woman of its story. Its scenes bristle with cinematic imagination, with hordes of men and women and astounding stage settings. It is hardly a film to be judged by its narrative, for despite the fantastic nature of its story, it is, on the whole, unconvincing, lacking in suspense, at times extravagantly theatric, and most of all, boring. Metropolis! Well, the other thing Metropolis had against it was there was talking of sex in it. There was a whore. And people back then kind of like really didn't like anything about sex at all. They, they were going to give it a negative review if they mentioned that people liked to have sex. Uh, it's another case of uh, it just was too forward thinking for, for the group of people. Uh, it was obviously uh, outside of their realm of comfort. So they had to take, you know, their shots at it where they could. And so uh, they were like, well, we can't deny that it's doing some things visually that we haven't seen before. But uh, let's say it's boring because that is the one thing that you you really can't argue with somebody about where it's like if they find a film boring and you show, well, explain why it was boring. They're, well, it was boring. You know, they don't really even have to argue with you about it. Well, how about Russell Russell Maloney's review in The New Yorker of The Wizard of Oz? Again, this is an at-the-time when the movie came out review. I sat cringing before MGM's Technicolor production of The Wizard of Oz, which displays no trace of imagination, good taste, or ingenuity. I don't like the, the singer midgets under any circumstances, but I found them especially bothersome in Technicolor. I say this film is a stinkeroo. <laughs> The Wizard of I, Oz. The Wizard of Oz, no trace of imagination. No trace of imagination. Wow. I 100% agree with that guy because I fucking hate that movie. I hate the movie too, but you cannot say it's lacking imagination. I, I just, I, I'm, I'm tired of it because it's one of those movies that is just the, uh, you know, everybody, well, not everybody, but too many people love it and too many people just, uh, I just, I, I've kind of grown tired of it. It's just, it's overdone at this point. It's not the movie's fault. Like, it's kind of people have kind of soured me to it. Well, how about Citizen Kane? Again, the, this is an at-the-time review. I thought the photography was quite good, but nothing to write to Moscow about. The acting middling and the whole thing a little dull. Mr. Wells' highbrow direction is that of a super clever order which prevents you from seeing what that which is being directed is all about. Did the reviewer just say that the movie was too smart for him? Uh, I, I just kind of envision Orson Welles just, <laughs> no no interview is worth this, no money is worth this, and just th walking out the door. In July! In July. If you tell me how to say in July, I'll go down on you. <laughs> but, but I mean, the critic goes out of his way. War Mr. Wells' highbrow direction is that of a super clever order. What he's basically saying is, I didn't get it, that means it sucks. Isn't it? Yeah, that's really what it sounds like. It's like his directing was so above, was so over my head, I didn't understand it, and therefore stinks. What a jackass. Well, you know, that's just like your opinion. No, no, okay, that review, I don't get it, so it sucks. It's like, okay, he should at least have an open mind to realize, I didn't get it, but other people do, and this is what they have taken from it. Can I reflect on that? You know, he's just like, no, I, I didn't like it, so it sucks for everybody. Well, how about one of the cl most classic films of all time? This one's a little bit long, but how about Vincent Carnby's review of Godfather 2? It's a Frankenstein's monster stitched together from leftover parts. 
It talks, it moves in fits and starts, but has no mind of its own. Occasionally, it repeats a point made in The Godfather, but its insights are fairly lame at this point. The Godfather Part 2, which opened yesterday at five theaters, is not very far along before one realizes that it hasn't anything more to say. Anything of any interest was thoroughly covered in the original film, but like many people who have nothing to say, Part 2 just won't shut up. Looking very expensive, but spiritually desperate, Part 2 has the air of a very long, very elaborate review sketch. Unquote. Somebody was just like, oh, sequel, must suck. Again, that's kind of like the uh, the Orson Welles thing. It's like they couldn't grasp the complexity of it. So it's – see, there's, there's a difference between saying I don't like this and saying that this is bad. There's a major difference. Like there are movies that I recognize are really good – movies but for whatever reason i just particularly i don't either i don't like the 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 genre or whatever so i don't say that they're bad i just say that i don't like them like i don't like last of the mohicans but i recognize that it is a good movie just for whatever reason i just personally can't get into it there's a major difference i don't like most of robert rodriguez's films but they're all very well made movies well, in that case, you're wrong, but... <laughs> Why, because I don't like them? That <laughs> you don't like them. <laughs> Jackass. Yes. No, but that's the thing. That's your opinion, but you're recognizing that they're good movies, you just personally don't like them. So that's what some of these critics, they don't seem to, to get. It's like, I don't like this, so therefore it's bad. And that's not right. That's basically, like, that's completely wrong, and obviously they've been shown that because, like you said, Godfather 2 is... Is is one of the most uh, well beloved, you know, highest rated, adored films ever. Uh, I mean, it, it's it's absolutely recognized as one of the greatest films ever made for for good reason. Well, how about we stick stick to that vein and talk about Apocalypse Now? How about Richard T. Jameson's review? Apocalypse Now is a dumb movie that could only have been made by an intelligent and talented man. It pushes its egregiousness with such conviction and technical sophistication that upon first viewing, I immediately resolved to withhold firm judgment until I'd seen the film again. Perhaps I'd missed some crucial irony, some ingenious framework that, properly understood, would convert apparent asininity to audacity. A second viewing did not help. I did not find it. It isn't there. Yeah, I think he's talking out of his ass. I think he he didn't even watch the movie. No, I agree with Alex's review of the reviewer. (laughs) He probably didn't even watch the movie. Well, how about uh, Fight Club? If, as Fincher has said, the movie is supposed to be funny, then the joke's on us. Fight Club was also called Hardly Groundbreaking. The Miami Herald called it More Than a Bit of a Dud. The Boston Globe called Fight Club... A chic indictment of empty materialistic values which which fizzles. Roger Ebert of Fight Club said, Fight Club is a thrill ride masquerading as philosophy. The kind of ride where some people puke and others can't wait to get on again. I kind of agree. It's a rather nihilistic movie. I mean, when I watched it, I was like, I don't agree with this at all. It was well made. It's a I love Fight good Club. looking movie. It has mood. It's got tone. I don't agree at all with its message. And it seems that that's kind of what some of those critics were targeting, its message, which I can agree with them on that point. I don't hate the movie. I think it's a well-made movie. I, I think it's an amazingly well-done movie, and uh, it's it's not whether or not you agree with the message. I think it's just that the message is there, and it it's something that you weren't expecting in something like Fight Club. And that was kind of what really blew me away with it was that – uh, you know, on surface, 
on the surface, you're like, oh, this is just a movie about a bunch of guys that want to get aggression out from, you know, and they want to fight. And, and then you start to, you know, get into it. And it's like, okay, they're this group that are kind of coming together and they're like fighting, uh, you know, the, the system and they're, they're creating anarchy, you know, they're creating chaos. And it, it was, I thought it was very smartly done and very unexpected. And I think that's another one where that the critics weren't expecting it to be a smarter film than it was and so i don't really know that they they knew how to take it so they kind of just dismissed it since this is our christmas episode we talk a little bit about scrooged one of the most beloved christmas comedies a film that variety called an an appallingly unfunny comedy usa today called a monumental mess the los angeles times said is as funny as a mugging or how about tacky in the extreme the self-congratulatory Self-congratulatory 1988 film is an exercise in hypocrisy, indulging every form of Christmas exploitation that it pretends to attack, and many of the laughs are so forced you will be beside yourself trying to find them. Scrooge is another one that I personally don't care for, but that doesn't mean it's a bad movie. I think that it is a really good movie, just for whatever reason. I never got into it. I, I just, uh, I didn't. I don't know. I, I, it, it didn't work for me personally. But like, the cast is incredible, and it is very, very well done. It just, it just doesn't work for me. So uh, I think that the critics are are wrong. But I love Scrooged. Um, but I could see why it wouldn't work for other people. I could see why cr- some critics would hate it. It's, it's a movie that it's become a cult film. Over the years, people that have come to build up around it and support the movie. But when it first came out, it bombed, and I don't think anybody I know wanted to watch that movie when it came out. Everyone's I did. Like, eh. I did. I saw Scrooge in the theater. Everyone, I was, I was like, oh, it's just that Ghostbusters guy doing a Christmas Carol. How about we move to something a little more exploitative, Predator, an ominous high-tech Stone Age mixture. Ominous because of the pro- because the production is high-tech and the script and its values and mentality are of the Stone Age. How about this one, a different Predator review from 1987. Arnold Schwarzenegger fights an outer space monster in a third world jungle. The monster never has a chance. Neither does the jungle. Neither does the audience. Oh, fuck that guy. The, uh, the New York Times called the movie alternatively grisly and dull with absolutely no surprises. <laughs> what? No surprises in Predator. Predator, yeah. The movie that is full of surprises. What? <laughs> Idiots. Uh, they, they're just, they're, they're people that just didn't like that genre is, is what I'm looking at. They were looking at it as, as a uh, dumb action movie. And uh, it was one of the more intelligent action movies ever made. The creature is outstanding in its cleverness. It's completely unique. And it is a great idea. Here is an alien that comes to Earth to hunt humans. That's, you know... They're, they're... It doesn't even kick in till the halfway point of the movie, really. Yeah, they were because the, the movie starts off and it's just about the uh, about the mercenaries and then uh, and then it kind of goes in and you're like oh wait and there's this thing that's out there hunting these guys who are the you know they're the badasses and they're getting like just destroyed by one thing. I mean, it's I, actually it, kind of a snobbish. Those reviews are kind of snobbish, really. Very snobbish. How about we go to a movie I love and hate equally. I, I love parts of it, and I hate parts of it, and that would be Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. How about the San Francisco Chronicle, calling it disappointing, pointless, and repetitive? How about Variety? Hard to imagine any segment of the public embracing this off-putting, unrewarding slog through the depths of drug culture. How about Roger Ebert? 
This is a one-joke movie. See if you can find the one joke. The Washington Post. Being forced to listen to bad heavy metal music turned up to 11 while fat guys in Bermuda shorts compete in a puking contest in the John. That's what this movie did to me. That movie caught me off guard. I'll admit, the first time I watched it, I was just like, what? I don't know what I watched. Was this good? Was it not? I don't know. That's a movie See, that, that, that's my thing. There are parts I like and parts I don't like. You know, and that's a movie that took a second viewing to realize, okay, I totally see what Gilliam is doing here. Now I appreciate the movie. That first time I watched it, I was like, what? And even the people in the theater, and this was in California. This wasn't in a really ignorant community where this theater was. They were like, huh? Like every 20 minutes, just a big collective, what? From the audience. Variety outright said, I don't see anybody liking this. They were not saying we didn't like it. They said, I can't understand how anyone can like this. Yeah, that I don't get. You know, you don't speak for other people when you're a critic. You speak for yourself, your opinion on the movie, and suggestions. You don't say, other people will hate this. You'll hate this. You know, you, you don't speak for others. I have not seen enough of it to really give a, a valued opinion. So I will, uh, I will say. We, we can't stop what... here. It's Bat Country. Yeah, I know I know the memes and I know the quotes and stuff. It's just that for whatever reason, it's just a movie that I missed. So I only saw like a little bit of it on cable. So I will uh, I will pass on this one. Okay. How about we uh how about we move to a movie I do not like, but these reviews are still harsh even for me. And that would be Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. The cra- the crazier Nicholson gets, the more idiotic he looks. Shelley Duvall transforms the warm, sympathetic wife of the book into a simpering, semi-retarded hysteric. <laughs> and, and, and then Variety nominated Kubrick for Worst Director of All Time based on this movie. Worst Director of All Time based on that movie. So let's assume for a moment that in this fantasy world that The Shining sucked. That discounts all the great work he did before The Shining. And The Shining is still a great movie. I, okay, I, I don't... I'm worst director of all time because of one movie. Oh, but he made all these great movies. But he made one shitty movie. He's horrible. Worst of all time. I don't like The Shining. I think I think the movie is tedious and boring and full of itself. But if other people like it, I don't begrudge you anything. If you like The, if you like the Shining, you like it. I just don't. I think it's a beautiful movie. I watch that thing like almost every year. It's damn near perfect. It is an incredibly well done movie. Stephen King didn't think so. Yeah, well, it, it doesn't stick to the source material. It's its own beast. Yeah, well, yeah. Stephen King's miniseries was terrible. Yeah, like, look, all right, the guy from Wings is not going to outdo Nicholson. Maybe I'm just not the right audience for it. I find the film boring. I've, I've tried to watch it numerous times. I've got it on VHS. I've got it on Laserdisc. I catch it on cable now and then. And every time I try and watch it and I'm just bored to tears for, by the movie. You're the movie just does not engage me at all. How about Psycho? How about the, how the New York Times wrote that this is plainly a gimmick movie, it's a blot on an otherwise honorable career, and that there is not an abundance of subtlety on this obviously low-budget job. Psycho! By Hitchcock! <laughs> With Psycho... <laughs> Hitchcock burned a lot of bridges and pissed off a lot of people to make that movie. That thing was going to get bad reviews from a political standpoint. You know, people were just like, we got to hate this movie because all these people that run the studios hate it, hated what Hitchcock did because he wanted to stand by his grounds. He wanted full creative control. He wanted to do all this stuff that was 
flirting too much with the borderlines of the code and people were like, no, no, we, we hate this movie you're making. We hate you for making it. And he basically gave them all the finger and made the movie. All the people in charge in Hollywood had a huge grudge with Hitchcock after this. That would explain a lot of the bad reviews. So are you saying it was less the movie and more they were reviewing Hitchcock? It was less the movie, more Hitchcock and the shit he started to make the movie. Yeah, I think that there was a lot of political nonsense on there because that movie was so groundbreaking and revolutionary. It was not tired. It was not lazy. There was, it wasn't low budget. It wasn't low budget. It didn't look low budget. So, I mean, because there have been some movies where I'm like, oh, wow, that looked really crappy. And then it's like $50 million, you know? And it was just the critics that hated it. I've talked to plenty of people that saw Psycho upon its initial release, and they were like, you're the fucking hell out of me. Night of the Living Dead. That movie was reviled upon its original 1968 release. The critics all hated it. I'm just talking critics right now. But then you also have a weird divide between European critics and American critics. In two cases I'm about to bring up, they saw wildly different versions. Life Force and Brazil, both from within the same year, 1985 and 1986. In America, both these films bombed with the critics because – they were seeing highly truncated versions that were missing over 20 minutes of scenes per movie. In Europe, both of these movies were giving wildly glowing reviews because they were seeing the complete versions that made sense. Do you think that sometimes the studios, they, they sabotage themselves by this whole, we've got to cut it down. Brazil's too confusing. Get rid of that 30 minutes of nonsense that the British critics are hailing as brilliant. No, no, no. Americans will never buy that, those high-minded Europeans. It's weird because there are uh, certain cuts of movies that are done, you know, to appeal to different demographics. Uh, I think it's not right. I think that uh, they didn't the movie... make these cuts of these movies to appeal to a European demographic. They just made these. These were the director's cuts that got released in Europe. But Americans can't handle all that. They need the movies shorn of 20 minutes. We, we uh, got the Merca cut. Yeah, well, we got the Merca cuts, yeah, which I'll admit, for both those movies, is terrible. The Merca cuts are terrible for both of those. Yeah, well, that, though, that's, that just kind of is a problem that stems all the way back to just notion that the American film-going audience is a bunch of idiots. And unfortunately, when uh, there are you know grown-ups is number one at the box office. It's kind of like, well, maybe they maybe they're on to something. I, I get irritated when art is basically trimmed because they want to sell more tickets. And even worse, when it works, people go to see the movie, but it completely sucks and they badmouth it. And then it's like, well, no, it's not the movie's fault. Here's the real cut of the movie. But the majority of the people saw the you know theatrical cut. So that movie sucks. No amount of editing will fix this movie. And then you see the director's cut and you're like, holy crap, this is a completely different movie. Heaven's this Gate. Is, yeah, Heaven's Gate. Heaven's Gate got a criterion release for crying out loud. And there, but there are people that still say that that movie sucks because they don't know that such a thing exists. They just know that they saw, you know, the theatrical cut that was butchered and it blew. And they're not willing to give the movie another shot. Brazil and Life Force, to go on with what Cease was saying about director's cuts – I can see sometimes where critics are coming from. There's a lot of movies where I'm like, I hated the theatrical cut so much, I'm not willing to give the director's cut a shot. 
Well, do you think then that there is a weird disconnect between audiences and critics when it comes to levels of quality? For instance, Alex, you alluded to this earlier. The critics all hate a movie, but audiences just eat it up like Adam Sandler movies or, good God, the Medea films. The Medea films, they make so much money. And in critics, among critics, the Medea movies are always eviscerated, as I believe they should be. Yet, you go and just talk to people on the street, they loving them movies, you know? Do you think there's a disconnect between what the critics want and what the audience wants? Why'd you have to say it in that voice? Because that's the closest I can get to to a Medea voice, because that's how Medea talks. Kidra said, but the people on the street, they love those movies. But they like Medea. They, they like Tyler Perry cross-dressing. I think it's because um, critics have become cynical a lot because they have their point of view. This is the movies. This is the stuff I like. This is the stuff I don't like. But they have to watch so much crap they don't like, and they tend to just speak for themselves rather than looking at, okay, what are the interests of the general public? Does this movie speak to the interests of the public? No, it doesn't speak to me, so it's crap. Yeah, like um, who was the uh, – was it Gene Shalit? Who who walked out of um, Zack and Miri, stood up and was like, worst movie I've seen in 30 years, you know, made had to, to make his his self known like he couldn't have just gotten up and walk in, walked out of the theater. He had to shout. Zack and Miri is a bad movie, but I can see why people do enjoy it. Explain how something like Grown Ups, everybody, everyone like and I'm not saying a film critic in this regard, but. I have not seen a positive review of like the Grown Ups movies on a DVD site, on in, on Geek Juice, on 1201. No, none of the people we talk to like these movies. We just hate them. I mean, we hate them with a passion. They make so much money. There's they're clearly making somebody happy out there. Are we the minority now? Those who don't like Adam Sandler, for example, than do? I don't think we're in a minority. I think Grown Ups has its place. And it irks me that that place is higher above the movies I like. But I'm not going to hold that against society. I'm just going to hold it against that movie because that movie is so bad. This is snobbish of me, but I really don't want to know the kind of person that laughs at Adam Sandler or that laughs at Rob Schneider falling with his face in poopy and Adam Sandler being peed on. I really don't want to know somebody who finds that humorous. However, there's the fact that they made money. They had great trailers and great marketing to get people to see there. Doesn't mean they liked it. Are, are we just cynical bastards on Adam Sandler? No, because like I, I genuinely like a lot of Adam Sandler's like earlier movies. Like I think Happy Gilmore and Waterboy are freaking funny. You're the went... one guy who liked Overboard. No, actually, you know what? I've never seen Overboard. Really, they're like they're not just you know fall in poopy you know things. There's actually genuinely funny moments in them. They're you know they're a little edgy. I mean they were you know PG-13, so they weren't too far out. But they they got a few uh, like all right, you know that kind of skirted a line. When he got, I don't know if it's when if it's the Eddie Murphy syndrome, like when he became a parent, he started to get soft. You know, his his later stuff, it got sappy and it got like just not funny. Like but like he it also was... got more and more into poop. All but the of things he does not make a movie now that does not have double digits of poopy jokes. He but... thinks poopy is funny and his audience thinks poopy is funny. Well, poop he's getting. Gross. Yeah, poop is is pretty disgusting. All three That's... of us are parents. 
yes, poopy is gross. I don't know. Like, I mean, the thing is, sappier and the the more watered down his movies became for a while, the more successful they were. It wasn't really until like That's My Boy and Jack and Jill where they reached a point of where it's like, okay, these movies are finally starting to lose money. Like people are just not into it anymore. And uh, but there was a time there where like I don't particularly fault him for making that because that's what was selling and that's what was making a crap ton of money. Do you think that we, the three of us right now, are overestimating what the audience should be able to put up with? Like like the fact that Larry the Cable Guy is a multimillionaire and Charlie McMullen can't even get on TV? To me, there's a disconnect there that says, you don't want genuine humor. You just want somebody who is homophobic and tells you what you already believe. Larry the Cable Guy is a multimillionaire from his moment, his 15 minutes. He's not making a million dollars anymore. He's spending what he earned back in the day. I mean... No, actually, actually, he's not. There was a profile on him in Rolling Stone not that long ago. He's a multimillionaire, and he makes over a million dollars a year in merchandise alone. People still buy that shit? Yes, and yet, and yet Charlie McMullen, a genuinely funny man who is one of the uniquest comedians I've ever encountered, is unknown. And that does stick in my craw a little bit. But, I mean, are we overestimating the audience then that clearly they like the Larry the Cable Guy, the Medea, the Adam Sandler, the Revenge of the Fallen? They like movies that are stupid. They like humor that is dumb. Are we the arrogant snobs by saying, put down the iPad and read a fucking book for once? Is the problem with us, not them? I don't know, because it's it's an odd circumstance, because there are... I mean, I I openly admit that there are some movies that I like that are terrible. I like Leonard Part 6. It's a terrible movie. But there are some movies that are just, they're, they're reprehensible, and yet they're still they're still hugely successful. I like the, the first, I I know the newest transformers people have been saying how it's really good, but it's kind of, it it strikes me as odd that it took three movies that made like $2 billion before they finally made one where people started to say that it's good. Like that. that, Okay. Okay. I, I think you need to redefine good when they have part of the movie takes place in China and there are all those New York city landmarks behind there. Oh, because we shot it in New York and just set called it China because you audience well uh rumble in the bronx had the the majestic mountains of the bronx and uh which godzilla's revenge was it where they had the pimp i always forget that movie final wars (laughs) final wars with the pimp you know pimp and the cop yeah Uh, you know, sometimes whatever they 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 don't CGI it out, and the majority—I mean, the majority of the audiences probably didn't notice. We notice because that's the way that our brains work, and that's probably the reason why we're more critical on this sort of stuff, and why we get agitated when some—you know—when when 15 Medea movies come out and they're terrible, and they all do well. And like we I can't get dread too, and we can't. Well, <sighs> exactly. It's a problem with us because we follow the industry so closely and we're so into the filmmaking and process and everything that we tend to pick up on, you know, this is the way things should be. This is what's good. This is what's not versus the general public that they only see the finished product, you know, at face value. And that can be said of any industry at all. I mean, if you if you go to a restaurant 
and a friend of yours happens to be a waiter, oh, they're going to be snippy and catty about your servers, how they do their job. When the critic brings a personal bias to a review, should that be made clear up front? For instance, let's go back to the 1980s slasher movie boom. Oh, Siskel and Ebert... They did kind of bring their bias with them, but they also hid it. They hated the slasher movie so much that look at Siskel's review for I Spit on Your Grave. He he barely reviews the movie at all. He instead reviews the kind of people that would go and see this movie, and he basically reduces them down to primordial elements that these are not even people because they're enjoying this film. When Whenever you read a critical review, you have to, as the reader look at what their personal biases might be? Well, I think a lot of people see that going in. Like, there's movies that come out and you're like, well, Ebert hated this movie because I understand where Ebert's coming from, even though I like it. I don't disagree with Ebert. I can see why he hated it. Then that's a weird thing, because a first-time reader wouldn't know where they are. But if you've been reading this critic for years, you tend to know them and know, you know, where their lines are, where their boundaries are, the stuff they'd like and they wouldn't like. I think if it's going to be a big, sharp thing like, okay, I hated this movie specifically because I hate this, they should make that clear. Ebert was notorious for reviewer bias because uh, he wouldn't – well, he – his – review slash not review of the human centipede i'm paraphrasing but it was something along the lines of i can't review a movie where there are there's no hope and the sun doesn't shine and that he was pretty close to that with his night of the living dead review too was he 68 he he talked more about how the movie was so nihilistic and disgusting that he, he didn't even talk he barely talked about the movie it's very dismissive because went into this when I talked about the human centipede is that you may not like the film. You may disagree with it, but the thing is it has every right to exist. It's something that, you know, it, it it's uncomfortable and it's unpleasant and it's, it's made to make you uncomfortable. It has, it has just as much of a right to exist as the Godfather. It, you know, I'm not comparing it to that, but I'm saying it is a piece of art. It is something that somebody made. Actually, it's something that a lot of people made and it has every right to exist. And for somebody to come along and say that, you know, they can't even look at this kind of thing because it's so horrendous. Well, that's just, you know, kind of thumbing your nose up at it. Isn't that exactly what I did when I said I don't want to know the kind of people that find these Adam Sandler movies funny? I'm just mind, I'm putting my bias out there. I'm you trying are to be fair about it. And But the other thing, too, keep in mind, Roger Ebert gave positive reviews to all of the Medea movies. Then do you think in the age of the internet that critics are really that important? Because like back when the local news in the 70s and 80s would have a movie critic for whatever big movies coming out, your local paper, all the the sci-fi magazines, the horror movie magazines and all that, they would have their, their critics. In the age of the internet, does it really matter anymore what a critic thinks of, of a movie? Yeah, because that's what people are going to see, and that's what people are going to judge the movie on before they've seen it. And in the age of the internet, too many people judge shit they've never even seen. The fact that David Manning, the fake movie critic for, ironically enough, Sony Pictures, that he was able to – that they were able to get away with that facade for so long, does that say that even in the 90s the critics didn't matter? If they could make up – a film critic to give positive reviews to their pieces of crap that 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 that, that the critic really didn't matter 
No, it means that the critic does matter because people weren't going to see these movies because the critic said they were bad. So they had to make a fake critic to tell people it was good. I will say that critics matter, but not mainstream critics anymore because the majority of people in general are starting to go to people online. People will find somebody who uh, maybe has a YouTube channel. They, they they kind of feel, hey, you know, this guy has tastes that of stuff that I like, so I'm going to watch uh, what he does and what he talks about. And, uh, you know, when you've got people like, like, like Brad Jones and, and his crew, where they'll go see a movie, you know, the midnight showings, then they'll go and they'll sit in their car and like talk about their likes, dislikes of the movie. There are a lot of people that will tune in, you know, to, to watch them banter because they're entertaining, but they'll also like listen to what they say and, oh, you know what, that that does sound like a really fun movie. Maybe I'll check that out this weekend. Like they're not tuning into, uh, you know, some guy in a suit who's like, huh. Well, I went and I saw you, uh, The Expendables 2, and there was too much action. You know, like they're not listening to those people because those people aren't speaking to them anymore. So I think that the uh, critics are as important nowadays as they've ever been. It's just they're not the same pool as they've ever been. How many movies uh, have had posters where uh, there there was a a news thing I read a, a couple years ago where there were fake critics that basically were getting paid to write you know uh, slug lines you know this is the best movie since blah 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 and they would you know print that on the poster and people you know they didn't know who it was they'd be like oh well david hersed first from the chicago newspaper says that this was four stars you know there so uh there are a lot of older generation people that would listen to that but a lot of the younger generation the ones that really are you know piling into the theaters are the ones that are going to go look to like the internet critics now before we say good night we do need to address something this is alex jowski's last night on radio drum he is moving on to greener pastures at geek juice it- I mean, I'll let you explain why, but from what I understand and what you told me was Geek Juice is just taking up so much of your time, you need to concentrate on that. I completely understand your reasoning. You know, it it hurts me to leave, but I'm like, I need to focus 100% of my effort here. And, you know, I'll I'll still maybe show up as a guest episode every now and again. You come up to talk. I don't want you. If you're leaving, you're gone. Yeah, okay. Well, then never mind. No, 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 seriously. There's no animosity. No, and there's I, not on my end. I mean, I'm bummed I, out to be leaving, but it's kind of something I have to do. Well, it's time. You've been on. I mean, I, I haven't counted the episodes, but 150-ish, maybe somewhere in there. Maybe 125, 150th, 150 yeah. episodes somewhere in that ballpark. Something like that. Yeah, I mean, Alex. I mean, it's it's been a pleasure working with you, and I mean, uh, we're still gonna work together. I mean, we're just not gonna work together here, you know. But I mean, I'm still doing uh, live Newt Geeks, and I mean, I'll be on for the uh, the West Craven thing in like a couple weeks on Geek Juice. So I, I mean, it's uh, it, I'm I'm sad to see you go, but I mean, I understand, and uh, it's just that I won't. Uh, I won't talk to you weekly, you know. I'll talk to you on Facebook and stuff, and I'll talk to you, you know, whenever uh, whenever we collaborate on something together. So I, I, I wish you all the best, and uh, I mean, it's been it's been a pleasure uh, working with you, you know, for the past year, however long it's been. You've been on the show a little bit over a year, Cecil. So yeah. Okay. So yeah. So so yeah. I I, I wish you nothing but the best, and I'm sad to see you go, but I absolutely understand. It has been a great run, and I am sad to see it end, but. It is time. And Alex wasn't lying. There is no animosity 
on my side nor his. It was just, it's time to move on. I mean, like I said, he's been on for, I'm estimating, 150 episodes. It's a long run. It's a really long run. There will be a new third, but we're not replacing Alex. We're just getting a new person. I don't know if that makes any sense. And I, I, I don't know who the new third will be. I've got a couple of people in mind that I want to ask. So the next couple of weeks, maybe just Cecil and I, or maybe Cecil, myself, and a guest. But we will have this sorted out relatively soon because I wanted to have Alex's final episode recorded before I start looking at the potential third person that I want to bring into this. So, Alex, do you have a final goodbye message you'd like to tell the audience? You know what? I I loved you guys. I'm going to miss you. But I'll still be around. I'll look forward to comments when I guest on an episode sometime. Well, then where can people find you since you're moving? You will to always be able to find me at geekjuicemedia.com. In fact, you'll be able to find me there even more now since I'm focusing all my effort there. Cecil, where can people find you even though no one wants to because you sound like a robot? Oh, that cuts right right like a knife. Uh, they can find me at goodbadflicks.com and geekjuicemedia.com. You can find me at 1201beyond.com. You can contact the show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Remember, go buy a t-shirt. I know this episode will air on Christmas, but you can still buy a t-shirt for New Year's or something. So you guys have a good night. Remember, don't take critics too seriously, including us. If you like a movie, like a movie. If you don't like a movie, don't like a movie. Straight down!
1201 Beyond production. Visit 1201beyond.com for more great shows.